If you have your Bibles today, I'd like you to turn them, if you would, to Mark chapter 12. We're going to be looking today at a story, an actual account of one that I've always been intrigued by and have never spoken on before, and that's the story of the widow and her offering. We are a discipling church at Golden Hills. What that means is we are committed to helping people become reproducing followers of Jesus. There is no concept in the Bible of anyone who's willing to simply be a follower themselves, but that they desire to see the life of Christ that's come to be born in them to be reproduced in others. That's called a disciple, a reproducing follower. There are many aspects of discipleship, but one of them is learning to give the way God wants us to learn. And so in this passage, in the widow's offering, something truly remarkable happened that day. So much so that Jesus called his disciples in and said, I do not want you to miss this. This is a lesson for the ages. And this is the way Mark recorded it in Mark 12, verse 41. Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, truly I tell you, this poor widow has put into the treasury, has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she out of her poverty put in everything, all she had to live on. Let's pray for a moment. Father, this has been one of the most significant lessons in my life, and I want to thank you for it and the chance for you to share it with all of us today. May you give us ears to hear, eyes to see, and hearts to believe. And we'll thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. When I was a kid, we didn't come from a particularly well-to-do family, but I loved Christmas, mostly because I was excited about what I was going to get. I remember one year, my brothers and I found the stash. If you ever wondered about Santa, and I can't say anymore because there might be some kids in here, um, we found the stash. And uh, we spent a couple of weeks prior to Christmas shaking those boxes every day when my parents went around, squeezing them, trying to feel what was in there. And we were counting them up to see who, how many was getting what because we were so excited about what we were going to get. I love Christmas because of what I was going to get. But over the years, there's been a shift in my perspective. I hope it's because I've grown up a bit, and hopefully I have matured some. But instead of being excited over what I might get each year, I have to tell you, my real excitement is over what I'm going to be able to give. A shift from how I might be blessed into how I might be a blessing. And that same shift took place in my life a few years ago when it came to my giving to God. Now, when I became a Christian, my faith was like a child. My primary focus is, God, what are you going to do for me today? Um, How are you going to bless me? How are you going to answer this prayer? How are you going to give me the stuff I need? It was, I'm afraid, gimme, gimme, gimme most of the time. But as our relationship grew, and hopefully matured, my focus began to change. I actually began to think about how I might be a blessing to God. In fact, the more I read God's word 
the more I grew in my love for him and the more I came to realize how much my giving actually means to him, how it actually blesses him. This is one of the reasons I love the story of the poor widow and her seemingly insignificant gift that day at the temple. Mark's account is not a parable. This is an actual story. This actually took place. It's what happened one day when a woman blessed God with her giving. And this is the way Mark recorded it, verse 41. Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. Jesus chose to sit down that day in the court, temple court called the Court of the Women. It was an outside court where everyone was able to come and be close to God. It was the place where also the offerings were taken, and so around that court there were 13 stations. And at each one of those stations there was a funnel, a trumpet-type funnel, with a wide opening where people could put an offering in it, would funnel down and go into a box. There were 13 of those giving stations around the court of the women. Because God had established that the support of the temple and the support of the people who served at the temple would come through the offerings of God's people. That's the way he set it up. Jesus said the rich threw in large amounts, which is necessary and which God appreciates. But the gift that touched his heart most that day was one that nobody but God would ever have noticed or even seen. The temple courts were crowded that day with people. And he saw this one woman. And so blessed by what he saw, Jesus calls over his disciples because he didn't want them to miss what had just taken place. And in that gift, there was a powerful lesson for the disciples and a powerful lesson for any of us who claim to love God and desire to be a blessing to him. And it provides a whole new perspective on our motivation to give. Because as Mark told us, God is blessed when he sees people who are giving their gifts to him. Not a church, not a ministry, not a man, to him. Why is this kind of giving a blessing to God? Because it's given so willingly and because it's given so generously. God is blessed when he sees people who give to him so willingly. Here's how Mark put it in verse 41. Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. Now, unless you get the idea that I have suddenly become this wonderful willing giver, which I hope I'm growing in, you need to understand there are times when I still give to God and others more out of a sense of obligation than a willing heart. There's times when I have opportunities to give even to God where I find myself still saying, ah, and God has to remind me, Larry, you're getting the wrong perspective. And it also happens sometimes when, you know, you have to buy gifts for people that you don't particularly want to buy gifts for. 
So I buy more out of obligation than I do out of willingness. So let's say it's Christmas and I got to get some of those gifts. I go look for something cheap and quick. And you guys are laughing because you do exactly the same thing. (laughs) And apparently a lot of other people feel this way because there's a lot of cheap, quick gifts all over the end caps of stores whenever you go in. And the thing is, when you buy them and you give them, everybody knows you got a cheap, quick gift. (laughs) But we do it anyway. But when I want to give to, say, Carla or one of my family or a close friend, I find myself thinking a whole lot more, not about me, but about them. What can I give that will really make them happy? What will I give that will really bless them? And so I find myself spending a little more time thinking about that gift. Maybe even willing to spend a little more money to get that gift or spend a little more time to make it. And I'll tell you, the joy of knowing whether or not I've succeeded in blessing them is seeing their face on Christmas morning. You ever wondered what God's face does when you give him something? The disciples saw that day what happens. Jesus called them over to see it. He was blessed by what that woman did. This appears to be the kind of blessing Jesus received when he saw this poor lady giving a gift to God. This lady gave because she was willing to give. She was willing to give what she had to God. That's why when Mark recorded it, he said Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. Now, we don't know what motivated the rich people to give. Some, I'm sure, were willing to give with pure motives because they were willing to give to God too. Some, perhaps, were doing it more out of obligation because they were required to give a certain amount by law or to give a certain offering by law. Jesus later would say that there were some who were giving because they wanted to be seen to be given, so they wanted to bolster their reputation or buy some influence. So they threw in large amounts. And God blesses some people so they can do that, throw in large amounts. The point is not that the rich people were bad or unwilling. It's just that they were willing to give out of their wealth, but this lady was willing to give out of her poverty all that she had. She put in two very small copper coins. It's called a widow's mite. It's a a lepta. I have one in my pocket here somewhere if I haven't lost it. It's a a tiny little thing. It's not this big round thing. It's that tiny, tiny little copper thing inside there. That's the coin, two of those she threw in that day. Now, Alepta was the smallest coin in circulation in Palestine in Jesus' day. This is all she had to live on, Jesus said. And he was blessed because she was willing to give it to him, to God. Not just one of them, both of them. And Jesus called to his disciples, guys, guys, come here. He said he called them over. And he said to them, did you see that? See what? Did you see that offering? Jesus, the the place is crowded with people bringing their offering. No, (laughs) did you see that woman right there? The one who put in the two copper coins. She just gave all she had to God. Willingness to give has always been the heart of the matter. 
You see, this is why when you talk about giving as part of discipleship, inevitably there are people who say, you know what? The church is only after my money. All they talk about is giving. Well, if anybody says that, I say, you know what? You don't, obviously don't know much about God, and you obviously don't know much about our church. And I often tell people who say that to me, you know what? If that's the way you really feel, keep it. God doesn't need it, and we don't want it. We're, we're looking to bless God by what we're doing here. Willingness has always been the heart of the matter. Now, I don't have time to develop all these passages today, but do you remember when God led Israel out of Egypt after 400 years in slavery? 400 years in slavery. And Moses is leading the people out of slavery into the desert on the way to the promised land. Now, the Bible says that God gained them favor with the people and they plundered the Egyptians. So people were giving them gold, silver, um, linens, gemstones, all kinds of fabrics. 400 years of back wages was in that gift. And the people left loaded down with this stuff, 400 years of back wages. But the stuff wasn't all for them. It never is. You see, God knew that he was going to lead them in the desert, and he was going to build a fabulous worship structure called the tabernacle. And it was to be ordained with fine linens and woven fabrics and gold altars and an Ark of the Covenant and golden cherubim and precious stones ordaining this thing. And it was going to be a fabulous worship structure in the desert. So where are slaves going to get all the resource they need to build a building like that in the desert? God's got to give it to them. And boy, he did. Man, when they left, they were loaded down. And so when they got out into the desert, Moses said to the whole Israelite community, Exodus 35, verse 4, this is what the Lord has commanded. From what you have, take an offering for the Lord. Everyone who is what? Everyone who is willing is to bring to the Lord an offering of gold, silver, and bronze, blue, purple, and scarlet yarn, fine linen, goat hair, ram skins, dyed red. I feel sorry for our signers today. They do a great job down there. But I get talking too fast. Ram skins dyed red, another type of durable leather, acacia wood, olive oil for the light, spices, everything they're going to need, onyx stones, other gems, all this stuff. Moses said, look, if you're willing, God's put all this stuff in your hands. Now, if you're willing... You can be a part of the blessing to God. Take an offering. Verse 20, the whole Israelite community withdrew from Moses' presence, and everyone who was willing and whose heart moved them came and brought an offering to the Lord for the work on the tent of meeting, for all its service, and for all the sacred garments. All who were willing, men and women alike. All who were willing. You see, the reason that's stressed five times in that passage, all who were willing, is because a lot weren't willing. They were willing to accept everything God wanted to give, but they wanted to make it theirs, so they didn't want to give any of it back. You ever notice God always supplies what's needed to get done what he wants to get done? How does he do it? He puts it in the hands of his people. So that at the right time, he can say, all those of you who are willing, come and now bring this to me. 
Do you remember when uh, God was going to build a permanent temple in Jerusalem? It was the same thing. This fabulous temple was going to be one of the seven wonders of the world. King David invited the people, all who are willing. And so they brought their gifts. It amounted to more than 300 tons of gold they gave. And it tells us in uh, 1 Chronicles 29, verse 5, for the gold work, the silver work, for all the work to be done of the craftsmen, now who is willing to consecrate themselves to the Lord today? And then the leaders of families, the officers of the tribes of Israel, the commanders of thousands, the commanders of hundreds, and officials in charge of the king's work gave willingly. Verse 9, the people rejoiced at the willing response of their leaders, for they had given freely and wholeheartedly to the Lord. David the king also rejoiced greatly. You remember when Paul the Apostle was going through Eastern Europe and uh, the churches of Asia Minor saying, we're going to take an offering up for the hard-pressed believers back in Jerusalem? He wrote ahead to the church at Corinth to tell them to be ready, and this is what he wrote, 2 Corinthians 8, verse 10. And here's my judgment about what's best for you in this matter. Last year you were the first not only to give, but also to have the desire to do so. Now finish the work so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it according to your means. For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. The willingness makes the gift acceptable. And God said, I want you to give according to what you have, not what you don't have. Have you ever noticed God never asks you to give what you don't have? He only asks you to give what you do have, and he knows what you have because he's the one who gave it to you. Throughout history, the people who bless God in their giving are the people who give willingly. God doesn't need anything. He created everything and owns everything. That's why when you leave, you don't take anything with you because it's not yours. It's his. Even the ability to earn and make investments, the book of Deuteronomy says, is the gift of God. You can't do it without him. So God puts that stuff in our hands that we might give it to him, support the work of the ministry, fulfill God's purposes, and to advance his kingdom. And it blesses him when people are willing to give to him the things he gave to us. That's why the Apostle Paul told the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 9, verse 7, each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give. Not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. A lot of people were given at the temple that day. Jesus saw a poor widow throw in two copper coins. Not one, but two. She was willing. And Jesus rejoiced. I couldn't help wonder this week, Jesus, do you rejoice at my willingness in whatever I give? It isn't the amount. It's the willingness. And it blesses God. And people, if you love God, I'm telling you, you don't need any more motivation to give than that. It blesses him. And God is blessed when he sees not only a willingness, but he's blessed when he sees people who give to him so generously. Mark put it like this in verse 43. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, Truly I tell you, this poor widow 
has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she out of her poverty put in everything, all she had to live on. Generosity has to be learned usually. Now, if you've been around here for a while, you've heard me share before my um, embarrassing lessons about learning to give when I was younger as a Christian. I was 25. You'd think I'd have known better, but I didn't. So if you've heard it before, bear with me. If you haven't, you'll see why it illustrates the point. I got saved in Bellevue, Washington, started attending church, and I was a typical giver. I had no idea what I was doing. So I threw in a dollar or two a week. One day, the pastor's preaching about generosity and giving, and he challenged us to give all we have to God. Now, I didn't even know what that meant. But in my limited understanding, I said to God right there in that moment, I said to him, God, I'm going to give you everything I've got in my wallet today, knowing I only had $2 in there. <laughs> so I'm feeling really big, spiritual giant about I'm giving everything to God. So the offering bag's coming down the aisle towards me. I open my wallet up, and there's a five in there I forgot about. There's seven bucks in there. And I'm breaking out in a sweat thinking, what am I going to do? I just told God I'd give him everything, but he tricked me. That's what I'm thinking. He tricked me. I told you it's embarrassing to even admit this, but this is what I was thinking. So the bag's getting closer, and I'm thinking, what am I going to do? I just grabbed the $7. I threw it in, and I watched it go forever off to somewhere. I don't know where it went. This is embarrassing, but my first thought was this, seven bucks. If I did that every week, that'd be $28 a month. I can't afford to be a Christian. I'm sitting in a worship service thinking this. People, I'm ashamed that I even thought like that. But I did. And a lot of people do. Most people give to God what's left over, what they think they're not going to use or what they can afford. God is blessed when people give to him generously. And that's what blessed Jesus so much when he saw that widow's gift that day at the temple. This lady gave all she had to live on. Verse 43, calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, truly, I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she out of her poverty put in everything, all she had to live on. They gave out of their wealth. They gave a lot because they had a lot. It implies not that their gifts were bad or unappreciated, but they may not have been generous. They gave out of their wealth. It's the idea of they had a lot, so they gave a lot. But in reality, if they wanted to, they could have given a lot more. But they didn't. In contrast, this lady put in all she had to live on. Now, there's some who might say, well, you know what, this lady, what's the difference? She had two small copper coins. She almost had nothing. So throwing those in, what's the big deal? She couldn't do anything with them anyway, so why is that such a generous gift? Jesus said it was all she had to live on. Those two coins, those little coins, 
could have given her her food for the day. But she chose instead to give that to God. So it says in verse 44, they all gave out of their wealth, but she out of her poverty put in everything all she had to live on. People, generosity is the New Testament standard for giving. Now in the Old Testament, God required a tithe, a tenth. He also asked for free will offerings, but they were free will. But the tithe in the Old Testament was required. God said, I want a tenth of all the money you make, a tenth of all your flocks, a tenth of your herds, a tenth of your crops, and I want you to bring those to me, and I want you to present those to me. And it'll be for the work of the temple and the ministry and all the other things I want to accomplish. Bring the food into my house. Now, when the people didn't do that, their whole society suffered. The temple fell into disarray, spiritual climate started to wane. It's interesting. It says in the book of Malachi that the divorce rate went up, families started falling apart, their general society started coming unraveled because the central piece of God being the center of everything was beginning to decay. So in Malachi chapter 3, God addresses their decline, and he says this in verse 6, I, the Lord, do not change, so you, the descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Ever since the time of your ancestors, you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me, and I'll return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how are we to return? Will a, will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings. How are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings. You're under a curse, your whole nation, because you're robbing me. I put all this in your hands, and now I'm asking you to bring it for the work of the ministry. You won't bring it. You're robbing me. I didn't put all that in your hands for you. I put that in your hands for me to use. So he said in verse 10, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this. See if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven. So what did the people do? Well, some responded rightly, some didn't. It says in Matthew 3, verse 16, then those who feared the Lord talked with each other and the Lord listened and heard. The scroll of remembrance was written in his presence concerning those who feared the Lord and honored his name. On that day when I act, says the Lord Almighty, they'll be my treasured possession. I will spare them, just as a father has compassion and spares his son who serves him. And you will again see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between those who serve God and those who do not. People, the principle of the tithe is still in effect today. The principle of the tithe primarily was this. God owns everything. So whatever he gives you, if you take a tenth of that right off the top first and you give it to God first, then you have God first as your priority in your life, in your home, in your income, in all that he provides, and eventually in your nation. And when God is first in your life and he's honored that way, then all the other priorities of your life can fit into place. Where a lot of people get messed up today is they start with their priorities first 
and then they give God the leftovers and they wonder why they never have enough. Their priorities are backwards. So God said, bring the tithe. The primary purpose was to keep him central. So we all know everything comes from God and goes back to God. It keeps our priorities in place. Well, people say today, well, giving 10% isn't a New Testament standard, so we're not required to tithe today. I say, you're right, you're not. 10% is not the New Testament standard. The New Testament standard is way higher than that. The New Testament standard is generosity. So the Bible teaches us that the tithe appears to be a great place to start, but that was never the goal. The New Testament standard is way beyond that. So when the Apostle Paul was out teaching, he would remind people of the need for generosity. And it's interesting, when he was taking the gift for the people back in Jerusalem, he went to the churches of Asia Minor and Eastern Europe. And when he wrote to them, like he did to the Corinthian church, he said, I want you to be generous like the Macedonians. And what was interesting about that, the Macedonians were some of the poorest, hardest pressed, most severely persecuted people in the empire. They were in extreme poverty. And yet, when they heard that Paul was taking an offering in the churches for the hard-pressed believers in Jerusalem, they sent a message to Paul, don't you skip us. I know you think we have nothing, but don't rob us of the blessing. So Paul went. It says in 2 Corinthians 8, verse 2, in the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity for I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability entirely on their own they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people people when's the last time you ever heard severe trial extreme poverty and overflowing joy in the same sentence they had it they had nothing but what they had they gave they didn't want to be robbed of the blessing. So Paul wrote to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 9, verse 6, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. See, God can put into the hands of people who are channels more of what he wants them to have because they know what to do with it. The Macedonians were people like that. They didn't have much, but like this widow, they gave what they had. They were generous givers, and it blesses God when he sees that. No wonder God loves a cheerful giver. You know, I can't help but ask God from time to time, Lord, is my, would you call my giving generous? Every year at this time, I send out a letter reminding people of what we did at our annual meeting, the new budget, the things we're working on together as a church, and how God wants to impact our community and the world. We attach numbers to that, and that becomes a budget. Well, every year, the budget seems to go up a little bit. We're very careful with it. We don't automatically just throw numbers in there. But what I do in the letter every year, if you're in our database, you just got one from me, 
I invite people to join Carla and me in taking the next step of generosity. Now, Carla and I, I'm not saying this to earn any points or anything else. I'm just doing it to illustrate. And I'm just going to say a long time ago, before we were married, Carla and I were giving beyond the tithe thing. And that's to God's glory, not ours. So since that time, every year, we like to take this little step of extra to help us to grow. And it's amazing. Over time, you keep adding to that, and pretty soon, you're growing in the grace of giving. And what happens is you begin to adjust your whole budget at home around your top priority, which is giving. And you begin to adjust your lifestyle to fit the goals of giving. And uh, you can even use it as a testimony. God, you... I don't want to say too much because it sounds like I'm pumping my horn. I have a lot, lot to learn about giving. I'm not the most generous guy in the world. But when you're sitting buying a car, a used car, and you tell the guy, look, I can only have a payment this much because that's all I've got available because I'm using these priorities over here to give, they look at you like, what? I said, oh, well, let me tell you what God means to me. It's amazing how God uses it when you put the priorities in the right place. So this year, we have about 700 people, 1,700 families in our church that give. And uh, I said in this letter, if half of us could give just $10 more a week over what we gave last year, this new budget would be met. This is not huge. I picked half because there's a lot of people who can't give. They, they've been out of work for years. They have almost nothing. They've lost their home. They're struggling just to make ends meet. But it's interesting, those are some of the people who are wanting to give. They have so little, but they, they want to be a part of it. It's amazing. If 800 families gave $10 more a week, we'd made our budget. It seems like so little. But we've been taking these steps like this every year, and the people who have been doing it are saying, wow, we're, we're seeing how a blessing, what a blessing this is to God. You know, back in Jesus' day, the widow didn't have a lot of options. If she wanted to give to God, she had to go down to the temple, find one of those trumpet-shaped boxes, and put her two coins in. Today, there's all kinds of options. You can give online. You can come down to church and give it here in the offering bag. You can set it up in bill pay. We even have this nifty new app that I don't know how to use that you can go in, and you can give through our app. There's so many different ways you can give to God. The main thing, are we willing and generous? God blessed, is blessed by those who are. A couple of weeks ago, maybe three, four weeks ago now, I was down in City Park in Antioch praying early in the morning with a group of men over our city. And um, after everybody had gone, I was walking over to my car and I saw this man there. He was rather disheveled looking. He had obviously spent the night in the park. And uh, he certainly looked and smelled the part. And he had a little shopping cart there with, I'm sure, all of his worldly goods inside. So I just walked up and I said, hey, my name's Larry. What's your name? He said, my name is George, not his real name. And um, we struck up a conversation. And he was sober that morning. He said he sometimes struggled with alcohol. And I said, hey, I get it. It's a battle. But I said, you're sober this morning, so let me talk to you. I talked to him about the Lord. He said, yeah, I have. I've accepted the Lord in my life. He's made some major changes, but I've got a long way to go. And I say, yeah, me too. I have a long way to go too. The main thing is that we're growing. So we struck up a conversation. Well, during that conversation, he reaches down in his shopping cart full of stuff crammed in there, and he pulls out this crushed 
box of Little Debbie Honey Buns pastries that was mostly empty. And I could tell when he reached down inside the box, there was probably only a couple left in there, and he pulled it out, he peels off the plastic wrap, and he starts eating it while we're continuing our conversation. Right in the middle of it, he stops. And he realizes what he's doing. He looks at me and he goes, are you hungry? Would you like one of my pastries? And I said, oh, no, that's fine. I said, I'm, I'm not hungry right now, but thank you so much for your generosity. He finished up that one, pulled out another one and ate it. I'm sure it was probably all he had for the day. And I got in my car after we chatted a bit. I got so bid my farewell, told him about our community outreach center, and then I got in the car and I'm driving away. And when I'm driving away, it's like God says to me, Larry, did you see that? See what? Did you see what that man just did? Did you see what he was offering you? He was willingly, generously offering you all he had. And you told him no. So next time, when you're in that situation, I want you to accept it. Because you see, he wasn't given to you. He was given that to me. He's your brother in Christ. He was given that to me. It's all he had. God was blessed that day. And he reminded me, I want you to see that. That poor widow had no idea what a blessing she had been to Jesus that day. But she knows it now. And someday you and I will too. When God shows us all the opportunities we had to give to him. And all the times we'll be so glad that we did. Father, there's so much more to this than I have time to do today. But this is the perspective that changes everything. And I have a lot to learn about this. But whenever I give, whether it's at church, supporting the ministries and things that are here, or whether I'm giving to somebody else, God, I want, I want it to be a gift to you. And I want it to be a blessing. Thank you for the opportunities. May you help me and all of us to make the most of each one. And we'll thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.